been watching through Hannibal and certainly has imagery and themes that are resonant to me as a person living with depression. Like everything to do with that stag creature. You've seen it, right? Yeah, it's really good. Like the protagonist, just the fact that his mutant superpower is the ability to empathize and how dangerous that is. Yeah, there is grotesque imagery, including an episode where there's a giant eye. But yeah, everything to do with that mysterious elk stag creature that sometimes manifests in its humanoid form with charcoal skin. It, uh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, and Mads Mikkelsen is the goat. Oh, yes. Oh, I guess you don't pronounce the uh, D in his first name. It's pronounced mass. Well, that's wasteful use of a symbol then, isn't it? Think of all the other things those Ds could have been used for. <laughs> Dad. Dirigible. Mass Mikkelsen. The M's silent too, as is the S. <laughs> so it was just... Ah. <laughs> you just exhale. It's pronounced as just one glottal stop. <laughs> Did you know that he has a younger brother named Sads Sickelson? <laughs> Oh my god. Rads Rickelson, his cool cousin. Let me edit this Wikipedia page real quick. Oh, he does have a brother named Lars Mickelson. Well, they call him Sads. This mind is constantly attacked. Secret, Secret Mystery, Mystery Club, Club with Mike and Jeremy. You can go back there and pick up some of that dirt and worship that you want to. That's where the lies is, lies is, lies is, lies is, lies is. I feel like we have to do a Carl Jung episode at some point, but just briefly, Carl Jung was a contemporary of Freud. He was kind of a student of Freud for a while, but then they had a falling out. Whereas Freud tend to view things as generally psychosexual in nature, Jung was the more spiritual or mystical of the bunch. He founded his own school of analysis. A big component of his school of thought is that the unconscious, like the region of the human mind that isn't immediately sensible in the way that things are cognitively sensible or consciously sensible. It's sort of the place that dream images come from, the place that complexes exist. There's a shared unconscious, the collective unconscious, where you have like cultural archetypes. Like Joseph Campbell came from this school of thought where he identified these recurring archetypes throughout mythology but it was sort of rooted in this Jungian sense of the collective unconscious. So Jung viewed being on good terms with the unconscious as being generally healthy. If the unconscious has something to communicate, it'll tend to try to communicate in images symbolically. So in order to make sense of this, you kind of have to work with the images and see what they reveal to you, paying attention to your feelings and any associations that come up. So it is a bit like it sort of exists in this like liminal zone between psychology as we understand psychology today and spirituality. People who are into Jung tend to have more of a spiritual bent than your, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy fans or whatnot. I feel like Jung, he didn't seem to write a whole lot about the technique of active imagination. He wrote a bunch of like, Here's how it worked out with this client. Here's how it worked out with this client. But I read a very short book called Jung on Active Imagination, but I think it was just like an assemblage of things he wrote. I'm not even 100% sure what active imagination is. 
So my understanding of it is it's just a way to allow images from the unconscious to kind of percolate up into the conscious mind. My understanding of the technique is you can pick a mood you don't understand or a feeling you don't understand or an image, like an image that's come up in your mind or from a dream or something like that, which is how I thought maybe we could take a crack at it, choosing a dream. First, you try to get into a calm state of mind. Then you just kind of passively watch and try to like fix the image in your mind and then see how it inevitably changes and just kind of note down what it changes into. And then at some point after you've watched the images shift, you start taking a more direct role and you start asking questions and try to communicate with those image complexes that are bubbling up to see if you can get some conscious clarity on what's going on, where those images are coming from, what the unconscious is trying to communicate with you. I think a good place to start might be, have you had any dreams that have kind of stuck with you that felt especially meaningful or resonant that you are comfortable sharing? Not particularly recently, but there are some things in the past that I've dreamt of that left a profound impression. I have at least one that's like, it was like a pretty strong recurring nightmare. I'm pretty sure I've told you some of it in the past. The most vivid, I think, that I can remember was uh, when I was younger, I used to have a, it was almost like a series of related nightmares that I knew intuitively to be either continuations of the same nightmare or manifestation of the same idea. Sometimes it would be similar events and images in the dream. Sometimes it would only be like slightly related or like one image would appear that would link it to the different dream. But it was, it was always a, a nightmare and I would wake up just in a state of complete terror. I had no idea where I was or what was happening. One time I was actually apparently screaming in my sleep. I was probably like 14 or 15 at the time. And my dad came into my room and like shook me awake. I could see my brothers out in the hall, like looking at what's going on in there. And they always surrounded the imagery of this matte black featureless sphere that would just sort of hover in the air ominously. It didn't make any sound. It didn't move. It didn't do anything. But I knew in my mind that if anything touched or interacted with it, it would be catastrophic in some way. The appearance of this image in a dream would suddenly turn it from no matter what it was, if this thing appeared in the dream, suddenly it was a nightmare and I, I had to get out and it had to end. I haven't had any dreams with that imagery since that time that I told you about my dad came and shook me awake because, and I, I've maintained that this is the reason why I haven't had those dreams since then, after I had woken up, I was probably in a state between asleep and awake. I didn't know where I was or what was happening. I could tell sort of like my dad was there telling me to wake up. I could see my brothers in the hall looking in really confused, but also hovering in the hallway, at, like down at the far end of the hallway. The black orb was there. I could see it in my house, just floating there. And when I saw it, they're framed by my two brothers' faces down at the far end of the hallway. I wailed in fear having seen it and then when I opened my eyes again it was gone and ever since then I've never had that dream again let me just make sure I understand the story so far 
you had a recurring image that would pop up in various different dreams of this matte black like orb or circle. Was it reflective at all or was it just pretty much like a complete black hole in reality almost? Uh, I think it could be either. Sometimes I do remember it almost like I remember one where it was in the sky, almost in the place of the sun. And it was just a circle and the sky had turned this like, it almost looked like this roiling cloud, but instead of just being like gray or black or white, it was uh, black streaked with fuchsia, magenta colors and like moving very quickly and it almost like it was the sky was like boiling with this strange like pinkish and black cloud cover but the the sphere itself was up there in the center and it was just a circle no reflection or anything but there are other times there was one time when it sometimes yes it would almost look like a physical object you could see light reflected on it see that it had dimension that it was a sphere and one time it was actually a a construct sitting in the middle of a almost like a city square and there were people gathered around it celebrating as if it was this achievement or creation of this society and it had a uh, hatch that somebody could get in and the guy was getting in and everybody was so excited and celebrating that this guy was getting in and he got in and closed the hatch and then there must have been something inside that he activated but I remember being filled with this dread of like don't get in there don't get in there don't turn it on this is a mistake don't do this And then when he did, that was the moment that my dream ended and I woke up in terror. So sometimes it was just an image, like this circle in the sky, but other times it was distinctly a physical object. That's really interesting. Did you always immediately connect it with the same identity or... Like, I've definitely had dreams where something has changed in appearance, but I understood it to be connected or sharing an identity with things from earlier dreams just because they felt the same, like they felt like the same thing. Is it like that? Or did you just sort of connect it after the fact? This is like a similar pattern kind of thing. No, it was it was always I knew that it was the same thing, but I I never I've still never really been able to suss out exactly what it was. But every time I had the dream, every time the image appeared, I was like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) Like I know how this is going to go. Yeah. This is great. I'm glad we're getting into the spooky dream territory. (laughs) I'm into it. I mean, because this could have gone any direction, but this might be my favorite one. How many dreams would you say roughly have you had where this thing pops up? With the actual black orb sphere, whatever you want to call it, maybe four or five. And then there's one that... I I know it to be a dream manifestation of the same thing, but it wasn't in the form of a black circle or sphere. It was an old man and his grandson sitting on a park bench on the side of this unnaturally bright green hillside with a bright blue sky. And the old man and the kid were wearing sort of like early 20th century looking clothes, like maybe like World War One era English countryside clothing. And the old man was holding this bright yellow plastic cup. And the cup was the like, quote unquote, black sphere of the dream. My vision in this dream sort of zoomed in as the wind blew the seeds off of a nearby like dandelion 
and it zoomed in on one specific dandelion seed as it drifted closer and closer to this cup and it got closer and you could see that the cup was empty. And then as this dandelion seed drifted closer and closer and closer, I thought it's all over the instant it touches the surface of the inside of this cup. I can't explain why or or how I made the connection, but it was the same exact same feeling as these circle or sphere dreams. Like if this thing is interacted with in any way, it's over. And this dandelion seed drifted closer and closer and I got more and more terrified. And the second it touched, I woke up terrified. Mm. It's really interesting that it has a consistent element of there being an existential threat if this thing is interacted with in any way. Mm -hmm. The last time when your father shook you awake and you had that like hypnagogic hallucination and you could see it, well, was that open-eyed? Like, as far as you understood, your eyes are open, you're seeing your dad and your brothers, and then that that thing is there too? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember distinctly looking out of my room and seeing it down at the end of the hall. And my brothers are much closer there. Bedroom doors are right next to mine. So they were sort of in the foreground and then the background. And the lights were on in the hall. My dad had turned on the lights when he came to see what was happening. So I could see it floating there sort of at the top of the staircase at the far end of the hall. When I saw it, I like looked down as I started wailing and I put my face in my hands. And my dad shook me again and said, what is it? And I looked up and it was gone. Does the thing ever move? Uh, no, I don't remember it ever moving. It was just sort of silent, always floating, except for maybe in the one where it was in the city square. It may have been resting on some kind of platform. I don't remember. And obviously when it was in the form of that yellow cup weirdest thing to have a nightmare about just this like happy scene of a grandfather and grandchild sitting there in a park or whatever when it was in that form obviously it wasn't floating free of contact with anything but yeah it, it never moves under its own power the yellow cup one is the most interesting one just because it's like an exception to the rule like the yellow cup doesn't resemble the black orb but you still understood it to be the same entity or object And it was one of the earlier dreams. It may have been the first or second dream in this series. The cup is an actual object from my real life. My grandparents had these four brightly colored plastic cups for when my two brothers and I and our cousin, who's around the same age, when the four of us were over, those were the cups that we would always drink from. It was a, a red, a green, a blue, and a yellow. So it, wa- it wasn't just a yellow cup. It was that specific plastic yellow cup. I'm, I'm pretty sure we had those cups too. Yep. Keep your dandelions away from it. Right. So the grandfather and the grandkid, I mean, this, that was a different person, right? You didn't recognize that as your grandparent. Oh, no. Yeah, it was my grandpa. It wasn't me. And I was uh, like a disembodied observer in this dream. I wasn't uh, an actual figure in it. When you've had these dreams and you wake up from them, do you tend to wake up after a catastrophe has occurred or is it only the threat of catastrophe that's consistent? The only one that actually had a catastrophe happening was the last one, the when I woke up and actually saw the thing in my house. In that one, like I said, the thing is in the sky with the implication though I didn't actually see it in the dream was that everything was normal and suddenly this thing appeared and the sky changed to this black and pink roiling cloudy sky. But in that dream, 
the thing is up there sort of in in the place of the sun the sky is broken in this strange way and there's like a city of people and everybody is just fleeing in all directions in terror knowing that something is happening or about to happen it's sort of strange because it's the only one i can remember that didn't end with the thing being interacted with in this specific way that caused the dream to end in this distinct smash cut to black sort of way it was just sort of there in the sky creating this chaos and then my dad shook me awake I guess I never really thought of that yet. It doesn't have that distinct cutoff from being interacted with like in all the other dreams. It's the largest form it's taken, right? Being like this giant object in the sky. If it is, in fact, like has taken the place of the sun, yes. But in terms of how big it seems, the one where everybody is surrounding it in this city square celebrating is the one where, because the people were like tiny compared to this thing. It was, it was the size of a skyscraper. Gotcha. But I think it certainly has had the conceptually biggest presence in that last one because it was up in the sky for the entire world to see it. Everybody was terrified of it. But previously, did it seem like you were the only one who was aware of the threat that it posed? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Especially in the one where it was people were celebrating it in the city. I seem to be the only person who realized if we follow through with what's happening right now, it will spell disaster for everyone and everything. I don't remember distinctly if I tried to communicate that to anybody or if I was, I think I was probably another disembodied presence, just sort of thinking like, no, 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 this is wrong. Either way, nobody else seemed to share that feeling. Is it consistent that you're in sort of an observer role without any kind of direct agency? Yeah, I think in the final one, I don't remember interacting with anybody, but I remember at least seeing events unfolding from the perspective of a person on the ground rather than a, you know, a camera following this flower seed or like a, a point of view down overlooking this city square. That's the one that I can remember where I would say I was probably in the form of a human figure in this dream, but I don't remember interacting with anybody. But like your individuality as like an object in space doesn't seem to be the focal point. Oh, no, no. It seems like something that you don't feel like you have a lot of control over, maybe. Yeah. Because at any point, did you have an opportunity to stop or warn anyone? No, I think the only one where I may have would have been the one where it was this construction or achievement that was being celebrated in some way. That's the only context in which I think I could have if I were embodied in the dream. I probably could have tried to warn someone or stop it, but I think I was just an observer in that one. And it was almost like now that I'm thinking about the final one that happened, that's the only one in which everybody recognized that there was a threat. And it was pretty much, well, it's too late. It's here and it's happening. So in your dreams where it's just cut away, there's like a jarring smash cut to waking consciousness or whatever. Do you feel that the implication is that the world has ended or just like shutting down the dream or something? Would the reality seem to continue if you stayed in the dream? The implication is that the world ends and not with like fire and brimstone, but just is simply just like turned off like a candle going out. It just seems so ridiculous. I remember when I first had the cup dream trying to describe it to somebody. I'm like, yeah, and then the dandelion seed touched the cup and it destroyed the world. And I think it was my brothers who were like, that sounds really stupid. (laughs) 
Honestly, like the cup is the scariest one, though, because it does seem so mundane. Yeah, I think it does make it a little more ominous that it's such an innocuous everyday object from my childhood that I interacted with multiple times a week, probably. It lends it an extra layer of spookiness. Have you ever put a dandelion in it? You know, I never did. I don't know what happened to those cups. I wonder if they're still around somewhere. Just see if we can break the universe. Yeah. It'd be nice to know if you had the reset button, just in case. Yeah, maybe there's a message. Here's how you do it. Get ready. You'll need to in a minute. Yeah. It's up to you to reboot the universe if something goes wrong. (laughs) The last one, when everyone was realizing what was happening, your last dream with the the black orb or whatever that had taken the place of the sun. Yeah. Did it cut out with the world ending or did you just wake up? I don't remember that cut out moment. I just remember waking up. Do you want to try some active imagination? I would be curious to try to see what would happen if you'd stayed in that dream and you're able to watch more as it unfolds. Yeah, I'd be down to try some active imagination on that. How do we uh, begin? The first thing, you'll want to try to get into a relaxed state of mind. So just maybe try some like breathing exercises, like slow, deep breaths. Once you feel kind of settled, just write down the shifting images. Anything notable or interesting about it. And then once you feel like that part is complete, you can start questioning it more actively and seeing if you can get it to communicate with you more clearly or understandably for you. All right. So just sort of get into a relaxed state and try to envision myself back in the, the moments that I remember from that experience. Yeah. And then watch as that image shifts or changes and how it shifts or changes. Should I be narrating as it goes or? I would say like, I'll just give you some space and do what you want to do. And then maybe just report back with results when you feel like it's the right time. Okay. I'll get back in a couple minutes. All right. All right. So what I have written is I'm standing in the parking lot of my high school, but it's in a more sort of urban type environment than it is in reality. But it's distinctly my high school as it looked back then. People are fleeing. I don't know who they are. They don't look like any classmates that I can recognize or that I remember. I notice that I'm going in the opposite direction. The imagery that I remember is that people are running away and I can see their faces. So they're running toward me away from this thing, but I can see the circle in the sky. So I'm facing the opposite direction of everybody that's running. So I'm, I'm sort of going in the opposite direction. So when I, was using this active imagination technique just now, I actually moved in that opposite direction. I went toward this thing, entered into the high school, found my way to the roof. While I'm on the roof, I'm a bit closer to it. It appears that the black circle is pushing through the cloud layer. The wind is whipping. 
I ask what the thing is and what it wants, and suddenly I can tell the appearance doesn't change, but it is distinctly an eye. It perceives me directly and the dream immediately ends. If we were to unpack that, do you have any response to that? I have wondered in the past if this black orb slash black circle imagery was just sort of a catch-all for like general fears. It's opaque and you can't see what's inside, so it could contain anything. Maybe it's like a repository for just fears in general. Who knows? It's an energy conversion box. (laughs) But I don't know that that's necessarily the case because of the times when it did manifest as this yellow cup, bizarrely. And then there's one when it is very clearly something that was built by people and could be entered by someone and activated. But it was it was bad that it be activated in this way. I mean, yes, this is just an active imagination technique. This isn't actually what happened in the dream, but sort of following it through to this end that it should be an I, I don't really know what to do with that. Yeah. And that the dream ends once it perceived. And the thing is, it when it perceived me in the dream, it wasn't just, oh, that's nine. It's looking at me. It was... I knew that it had perceived me directly. It almost felt or seemed like a connection was made. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether like an invisible beam of some sort had connected it to me in this way that meant it perceives you. It, it, it isn't just looking down at the whole world. It's looking at you and then the dream ends. Hmm. There's so many different stories that you could overlay on that imagery. There's so many like connections you can make, but that's the thing about dream interpretation. As I understand it, there's no like universal meaning for yeah. any of this stuff. Like any dream encyclopedia or dream dictionary where it's like, ah, you saw a giant eye in the sky. That means that uh, next week you will get a haircut. Or that means that uh, (laughs) you need to make peace with your high school teacher or something like that. I strongly suspect that that's all bullshit just because this imagery is all very personal. So you're the only one that could come to any real understanding of the significance of that. But I find it so fascinating that the sphere became this like sensitive instrument of perception that you connected with in a way that you haven't before. Yeah. And I mean, and this sort of, it fits with the uh, MO of the dreams in previous incarnations. It was interacted with in a certain way and that caused the end of everything. It wasn't directly perceiving any of the people who were fleeing and running as it tore up the sky. It was only when I went to the top of a building and yelled at it and demanded to know what it was and what it wanted that it made that direct connection with me. And that's what destroyed everything. I mean, I don't want to make this the Mike unpacks his gay coming out 20 years after the fact podcast. But I mean, I had the dream back in the days when I was very aware that I needed to hide and suppress this thing. 
I mean, how does that interpretation feel to you? Honestly, it feels a little bit of a cop out. And that may just be because now in my 30s, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm past all that. But back in the day, if if the dream had come to this conclusion, that it was an I and that the absolute worst possible thing that could possibly happen was that I be directly perceived for exactly who and what I was, that would have been a terrifying thing for me at the time. When I had this dream, I was 14, maybe 15 years old. I probably would have really resonated with that explanation. But the fact that I came to this conclusion of the dream now, what in my current psyche could be giving rise to that imagery of it being an eye that perceives me? Yeah, I was kind of wondering about the whole closeted gay angle, just because it's like something that if anything comes into contact with, it annihilates everything. It would be like the worst thing, a terrible disaster. If you have a secret that you don't want anyone to know about and you're living your life as if that thing isn't there, you're always trying to like suppress any impact it would have on reality. And yet it remains with you and undermines you and you self-sabotage it along the way because it wants to be known. Yeah, the fact that that explanation doesn't feel like at least the whole truth to you, I think is interesting that there's there's maybe some layers in that. I wonder if it may just be that current me doesn't share that same fear. So that if that is the explanation, my response may come from a place of, oh, that's all. There is always a difficulty with like going back to, you're not the same person that you were when those images presented themselves to you. And it's been a long time, it sounds like, since you've been presented with those images. It's hard to say how past Mike, what kind of relationship he would have had with those images. It has been 20 or so years since I had the last dream that featured this imagery, but it stuck with me this whole time. It was the the first thing that came to mind when you said maybe talking about dreams. So I didn't see this orb this time as something to be feared. I remember when I originally had the dream, everybody was running away in terror. And then I looked up at the sky and saw it and thought, oh shit, there it is. It's going to happen. This time, imagining back, I placed myself into that same situation, but it didn't have the fear element. It had sort of a, let's get to the bottom of this feeling. So when I went to the roof and demanded to know what it was and what it wanted, it was sort of, uh, I don't know, defiance isn't really the right word. It was sort of a, I'm going to be the one in control this time. So then when it revealed itself as an I... It wasn't an, oh shit, I fucked up by interacting with it. It was almost a, so this is what it is. Rather than being afraid of it and passively waiting for something bad to happen, I had been the one to actively choose I'm going to engage because I'm in the position this time to control how this goes. So when it revealed itself as an I, it was sort of um, almost a... Oh, that makes sense. A feeling of, of course, how could it have not been an eye this whole time? Even when it was a cup, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still round. It's still like, in a way, the eye contains things. Symbolically, the eye could be said to contain the perceptions. Not to be gross, but as like a physical object, it does contain like rods and cones and a lens and shit. But 
as like a symbol, it contains the whole world that you're looking at. Uh, a cup contains things. And I can overflow with tears like a cup with yeah. uh, some fluid in the cup. Like There is more similarity than I originally thought for sure. Yeah. Dream language is kind of wonky. It doesn't necessarily make rational sense, but once you feel into it, I think the connections tend to open up in these kind of unexpected ways. Do we want to maybe talk about that passage out of Original Wisdom? Yeah. So Original Wisdom by Robert Wolf. I just grabbed it from the library and thought it looked interesting. It's recounting the experiences of Robert Wolf as he is. He's doing like a nutrition survey involving a indigenous people. I don't know how to actually say the name for themselves. Sing Oi. But uh, yeah, it's like an, an indigenous sort of isolated people with their own separate culture from the like wider cultural context of the area of Malaysia where they existed. And so he's sort of embedding himself among them and getting to know them and learning to communicate with them, learning how they view the world. I mean, this is something that's really fascinating with cultural anthropology with like separate or isolated pockets of humanity that haven't just sort of been absorbed into a wider national culture. There are distinct ways of seeing the world that are retained. And it's, you know, fascinating to try to figure out how these people view the world, how they conceive of the world, how they relate to each other based on that understanding of the world. So the whole book is about what he's learning about this group of people and how they're seeing the world. The chapter that I suggested we read in preparation for talking about dreams and dreaming is a bit about how dreams work in their society. They understand dreams to be the reality and waking worlds to be the shadow world. And so they share their dreams and try to make sense of their dreams together as a group. And then that gives them a sense of like narrative or a story for the day or even potentially information that they can use or instructions on what they should do today. Like um, the woman or the girl who said that a bird showed them where to find this flower. And so they spent the day going toward this flower and it was like a rare flower to see bloom. A bird in a dream revealed the location. Stuff like that. I have highlighted here, a story for the day was created around the memories that four or five people brought back from the real world, and it was set the tone for the day. Everybody would live the story that was shaped by people's dreams, whether it was something like you said with the flower example of, oh, the dream showed us going to the flower. Uh, We sat and watched the flower, and then we went back a few of us at a time. I asked why they came to watch that flower. They could not understand my question. After all, it was in our house that the story had originated when we talked about dreams. Of course they would look. The dreaming had told them to go see the unusual flower. It's such a meme or a trope for us. Like, oh, somebody's about to describe their dream. Get ready to tune them out or just tell them to stop because you don't care because it's nothing. For a group of people to live in such a completely opposite way where The very first thing you do is share lasting images that you have from your dream. 
And those images go together to create a narrative that could potentially be something that must be interpreted for personal meaning, but can also act as the plans that you have for the day, the events that are going to unfold. I found that really interesting. But the most stirring thing for me for the whole chapter came at the very end. The author talks about a dream, and it's sort of corroborated by somebody else whose dream also included an image of a gigantic, not alive bird. No, that it was he was he was, he had a strange dream that he couldn't quite place. So he did his own sort of active imagining of the people from his little village were around him, and he imagined himself in the situation of having the morning dream meeting. And a little girl in the dream supplied some additional imagery that he didn't have in his own version of the dream of a a large, not alive bird that would poop on the ground, but the poop made a huge sound when it hit the ground. And it sort of helped him to remember like, oh yeah, the dream was about this radio message of something dangerous. The imagined people in the village helped him interpret like, oh, it was a message from the government about something. Sure enough, he got word that because of the unfolding Cuban Missile Crisis, Americans were to leave Malaysia as soon as possible. And then when he returned to the village later, it was the last day he spent in the village, and he told them about his technique of imagining he was in the village because he needed their help. And the people were like, oh yeah, that seems appropriate. We never leave our village, but if we were in a position where we didn't have our friends and family nearby, we would have done the exact same thing. That's appropriate, and you did it correctly. Good that you were able to figure out what the dream meant. But the author apologizes for bringing news of the war in the outside world to this village. The person that he's talking to as he's leaving the village says, don't think that we don't know what happens outside the village just because we live far away and we live life our own way. It's good that you brought us that information we need to know. For a long time, we could hide from the world. We could be ourselves. Soon, we will not be able to hide. Then we cannot be Sinoy anymore. My memory of his words is, once we could be lost, now there is no place left to be lost. He paused again and said, we need to know. And then he walked away, not looking back. So... These people see dreams as bringing this information that needs to be known from this, what they believe to be the real world, and it helps inform their day-to-day life. That's also how they seem to see him bringing this news from the outside world. It's like, we need to know what's going on so that we know how to live our lives accordingly. That bit about we used to be able to be lost or we used to be able to hide, but those places are disappearing. That seems kind of tragic. Yeah. When groups like that with unique perspectives are assimilated into a larger monoculture, those alternate views can be lost, and humanity is poorer for that loss. Yeah, these people are described as being joyful. It's on page 86. What remains most vivid in my memory of the Singoi is their contentment, their joy. Voices were never raised in anger. They had the uncomplicated innocence of children. Although they certainly were not childish or even innocent, there was sadness sometimes, and they freely expressed that, but they most often expressed joy. I mean, this is like, if you survey the literature about anthropologists who've studied with peoples that have been able to retain some degree of separation from the rest of the world around them, they tend to be a lot happier, mentally healthier, too. 
in general, I mean, exceptions for anyone who's been displaced by the world and they're separate, but they've had to go, you know, fuck off because someone decided to build a factory wherever they were existing before. That kind of collective trauma is going to leave a mark, but people who've been able to retain their territory, where they've lived, where their culture's grown around, you tend to see a lot happier people living there and closer with each other, sharing more things in common, less rigid forms of hierarchy in general. This isn't like to romanticize them too much. I mean, they're, they're not like perfect idyllic forms of humanity, but the idea that there are people having relatively happy lives and that we're losing them one by one, they're just being absorbed into this growing monoculture. Yeah. Like you said, it's tragic. So I wonder what other concepts of dreams may exist out there. I mean, like I know there's this sort of new agey, like what, what does your dream mean? Kind of you go to Barnes and Noble, there's a whole section on dream interpretation or whatever. Yeah. And there's also probably a tradition of this dream was sent by Jesus or Allah or one of the gods, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But for it to just be like memories of the real world that you bring back with you. And only sometimes is it described in this passage as, oh, that sounds like a spirit got involved in the dream this time. That means you should especially listen to it. But even if it isn't a spirit or something trying to communicate with you, if it's just memories or experiences from this real world that you've brought back with you, and it still has value without being a divine message. I, I find that really appealing and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it relates pretty directly with Jung and the collective unconscious as like, there is something deeper and larger, according to Jung, that is communicating with you through these symbols that is worth paying attention to and even gratifying like making art based on dream imagery and stuff like that as a way of i don't know respecting that communication or giving it some form of creative expression I do this active imagination thing a bit on my own if I have a dream that seems resonant, but just as an interesting personal anecdote, our mutual friend Glenn on Twitter, he was like, I had a dream that you and I were walking through the woods and these two panthers were following us and observing, not necessarily like they were hunting us, but just watching. And he said like sharing it in case of mystical importance. I love Glenn. Yeah. A couple nights after that, I saw a panther in one of my dreams. I was like doing a work thing with a person that I don't really know too well, but I was like, oh, maybe we could be friends. So after the work thing, I was like, do you want to hang out? It looked like they thought about it for a minute and then something occurred to them and they were like, no, I'm going to go home. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Won't try to make friends with anyone ever again. That's humiliating. Because right. I, I, like, I do have a deep fear of like, what if I wanted to be a friend with a person, but they didn't want to be friends with me? Yeah. Hate that. So anyway, I only mentioned that because it was after that. Um, it was like walking around with my sisters and then we saw a panther. And it was just like following us. And then I remembered, like I start thinking about the situation that seemed kind of normal at the time. Being like, why would a panther be this far into a city? It must be a starving panther that's desperate for food. So it must be hunting us now. And that's when it started. Clearly it was hunting us. It sort of changed from just following us around. 
So I like I told my sisters to run. I tried to distract it, ducked behind a building. But then I had a little moment of lucidity where I realized, oh, wait, this is a dream, actually. And this is what happens when you're afraid of things in dreams. They'll take the form of your fear. So I tried to approach it openly, and then it turned into a little tuxedo cat. I just let me pet it. But when I was trying to unpack it the next day, sitting with that image of the panther while it was still in the panther form, there was a sense of sadness or sorrow there. And I realized it was relevant that this happened after that rebuffed friendship attempt. The panther was just kind of like on the periphery following us but from a distance and it just wanted to play right that's why it turned into a cat afterwards when i accepted it yeah so it felt like oh the panther is like me wanting to play with people but being afraid and existing at that periphery and keeping my distance well and like even it starting to hunt you it could have been that the dream was playing with you because you in the dream thought, what if it's hunting me? And then the dream thinks, oh, we're hunting now? Okay, I'll hunt you. Yeah. And even like, you know, like I have cats, so I'm somewhat familiar with how cats work. Yeah. If you show a cat that you're going to play chase or that you're going to play like let's hunt each other or whatever, <laughs> cats love that game. So yeah. even just starting to run, yeah. like it could have still just been playing hunt, you know? Yeah. Oh, I kind of want a cat now. No, oh, cats are great. Get a fucking cat. Uh, I think Brian's allergic. Get one of those disgusting looking alien hypoallergenic <laughs> cats. Those little Please. abominations. I was playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla a little while ago. You can buy a hairless pink horse that just looks like one of those naked cats, but as big as a horse. Fucking it's gross. Filthy, gross. Rotted. Like, no thanks. Hard pass. Ugh. I'm just imagining a hairless horse, and it's like the grossest thing. It's a little stick tail. Well, fucking rat tail is whipping about. Oh, yeah. Fucking nasty. I wonder the revulsion that some of us have, rightfully, toward <laughs> hairless mammals. Do other mammals perceive us with revulsion? Just like, oh, oh my god, that monkey doesn't have any fucking hair. <laughs> well, and it's not all, and because like a pig, pigs can be super cute, or an elephant. Yeah, that's I true. I love a little like elephant. I saw some meme online, and it had zero evidence or links to anything corroborating it, but it claimed that elephants perceive humans as cute. I love that, though. I, I want that to be true. I also want it to be true, so I'm not going to dig any deeper on it. <laughs> a very, very dangerous attitude to have on the whole, but for this, I think I'm safe. Yeah. If I can go back to your dream and the dream image opening up as a large eye, to me, I can't help but think of the word apocalypse, mm. because what you're describing is an apocalyptic thing. It's like something that causes disaster on a wide scale. But especially now as, as an eye or as, as an opened image, the word apocalypse literally means an uncovering. Yeah. Like a revelation. Like revelation, the book of the Bible is a translation of the ancient Greek apocalypse. The idea of a large scale destruction or a catastrophe being linked with something being revealed. These concepts have become almost intertwined 
it makes me think about like what forms of revelation or what things being uncovered would spell destruction or disaster. Maybe the destruction of a way of looking at things or a destruction of a cultural mythic structure through some new knowledge. I feel like there's something there. Maybe I can relate to it personally. Something I connect with about your dream. I mean, I have a fear of being perceived sometimes. You know what I mean? I mean like, I'm sure we all do. Yeah. Just like a sense of constantly watching yourself and like, oh no, I hope no one saw this shady element of myself or this thing about me that I'm ashamed of that I think is dangerous or unsafe or needing to be hidden in order to still exist in this group or to make people like me or something like that. Right. As a person with an ego, it's sort of terrifying to have that barrier fall and just being fully exposed for everything that you've tried to hide from everyone else. I think, yeah, that seems like a pretty universal... I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who love being in the spotlight and putting themselves out there. I mean, YouTube exists. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but there again, there was no fear or anxiety element this time but i wonder what it what it says that this thing revealed itself as an eye specifically in the context of me demanding to know what it was and what it wanted and its answer was just to behold me and that did still somehow lead to the end but it wasn't in a scary way it seemed natural like a period at the end of a sentence like I said, when I originally had this dream, it was in the context of being closeted, trying to hide who I was, like policing every little behavior to make sure that nothing slipped out. But in this dream, I did the opposite. I, I went against the, the current of people fleeing. I, I went straight up to this thing and, and demanded that it explain itself, basically. And then it, it sort of revealed itself as this I perceived me and that was it. Maybe subconsciously I knew that it was about that at the time and repressed that. And now that I'm going into this active imagination exercise, I'm at a point now where the only outcome for that situation could be being perceived for who I am in that aspect of myself and there being nothing more to say about that. It's just, yep, that's the truth. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's whatever the dream was attempting to communicate, and then there's what it has come to mean for you, you know, as, as you've grown and lived your life since then. I will say, though, I hope to avoid talking about gay stuff going forward, <laughs> unless we do something that's specifically about it, like the Montero episode. But I hope that it doesn't just become Secret Mystery Club with Jeremy and the gay the guy. The gay one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the big gay mystery club. Maybe we should lean into it. Hey, queens, welcome to the club. <laughs> no, I don't know. I remember, must have been older than three, maybe like six-ish feels right. I remember one time I had a dream that my family moved into a new house because it was something they were talking about doing at the time. We got in the house. This was a place I don't remember ever seeing before. My room was downstairs, scooped up like an armful of toys and then headed downstairs to drop my toys off in my new room. And then my dad came down the stairs and picked me up and I just dropped all my toys on the floor and then he carried me up the stairs to where the kitchen dining room was. 
I remember it being kind of bluish, like with blue carpet or something. I don't know. But anyway, so then I woke up from that dream and then went out to the living room where my mom and my dad were. And I walked in on my mom telling her dream, which was exactly the same to my dad, down to like me carrying the toys and dad coming down and scooping me up and me dropping the toys. And I was taking the toys to my room. And at the time, I remember thinking, well, that's kind of weird, but not nearly as weird as I think if it had happened now, it'd be like, that's fucking bizarre. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. And of course, it's been so long. The easiest explanation, because the easiest explanation with any weird thing is like, well, obviously I could be making it up, but also I could just be misremembering it or it's just become a story that I've told in my mind enough times that it's been distorted. But it definitely still feels like that's exactly what happened. And I like brought it up with my mom before, like, hey, remember that time we had the same dream? And she still remembers it. Oh, well, yeah, that lends some credence. Yeah. I mean, I've asked you about it before, like every six or seven years or something and be like, hey, you still remember that time that we had the same dream? I think I'm going to ask her if she still remembers it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And I'm not your mother. <laughs> Takes off the mask and she's a black orb floating in space. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the episode. <laughs> uh. have been our secrets you are now an insider welcome to the secret mystery I now feel prepared to fully understand Final Fantasy XIV, a game I have never seen or played. It's very much a story about looking at things from a different perspective, learning truths that you never would have known if you didn't step outside of your original point of view. This is what I can be. The making into a god of something. And then yeah. the flip side, bringing something about the text to life in your own actions. There's like a strange loop that's happening. The idea of a tulpa or a thought form. An entity that comes to existence through a sheer force of collective imagination. In this world, the sky is shining with this oppressive light that's constantly shining down you restore the night and people look up and see it for the first time and they just start weeping at the sight of these stars restoring this darkness that was once thought lost well i feel like i've played final fantasy 14 now music this episode has been dreamscape by density and time rain by maiden praying space by pc3 ode to a dandelion by glad rags and more links licensing and other details in the show notes Visit secretmysterypod.com for more secret mysteries. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep it spooky. Initiates.